Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. We are 66 days away from the 2023 NFL Draft. This is with the first pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is episode lucky 13. CBS Sports Draft analyst Ryan Wilson, and I'm joined by our general manager, good old Rick Spielman, who has more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. On today's show, it's our first ever Mailbag Monday. But first, we'll finally get around to that just good football players list, post-senior bowl edition, that we've been teasing on recent episodes. Then it's on to your questions. And thanks again uh, for those responses. We got some really good ones. And just a reminder, the podcast is now twice weekly, which means that you can catch us every Monday and Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern for even more NFL draft coverage. In fact, on this Thursday show, we'll be doing a live mock draft with Rick and Josh Edwards. God rest Josh Edwards' soul. Side note, I just released my first two-round mock draft on Monday morning, so check that out on cbssports.com. Too bad we won't be going over that today because it'll be giving Rick Twice as many things to complain about. Anyway, next week we'll be we'll have even more draft coverage for you because we'll be live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. As always, you can watch us live on the NFL on CBS YouTube channel. And uh, let's see, you can get the audio version of on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And we're also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at NFL Draft CBS. All right, Rick, let's get to it. You're wearing your with the first pick podcast gear. I like it. Yeah, I'm just trying to advertise the show and and trying to get it out there and promote it like Debo wants us to promote it, unlike yourself that just wears whatever company you want to represent on the podcast. You just sell your soul to the devil to do that. Look, man, I go to the highest bidder, and let's be honest, Debo is not paying me enough. I don't get Rick Spielman money to be on this podcast. Let's let's be be honest. Do you actually get money to do this? They told me it was all for (laughs) <laughs> M&M's. I get paid M&M's. Uh, all right. So next week we're going to be in Indianapolis. I'm excited about that. I know you are going to spend a little more time with me because uh, I make you feel young. I think that's what you tell people. Um, <laughs> so we did our version one of just good football players uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast. And I'll quickly recap the guys that you had, and then I'll go over your your updated version, your 2.0 version of guys that you like post-senior bowl. And your initial list, and this is before we got to the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, back in late January, early February, and the guy that you are still deeply in love with, I would imagine, John Michael Schmitz, the center out of Minnesota. You, you, uh, you're crushing them hard, as the kids say. And yep, he had a, just uh, confirmed what I saw on tape during the fall. Yeah, he had a good week for sure, no doubt about it. Uh, Dayon Henry, the linebacker out of Washington State, um, undersized historically, but not necessarily in today's NFL. When you look at off-ball linebackers, no. extremely explosive. I think he's going to be 24-25, but you don't care about that, right? No, he's he's athletic. He can run, and he's a what do you want to refer to as a modern-day NFL linebacker right. that can play all three downs. And Thomas Encombe, the defensive end out of Central Michigan, also had a pretty good week in Mobile. Um, not a small school guy, but not a power five guy. And uh, he had a good fall as well. And then, do you want to try to say our guy from Northwestern's name, or do you want me to say it? I have it. I've been practicing it. Now, you can correct me since you're the wordsmith on the show, and I'm yes. just here to, to, 
it'd be a pretty face next to yours to uh <laughs> yeah, yeah double yikes so this is your first uh in the list of three guys in your just good football players 2.0 version who you got at a time you are at a bar the, the, I, I, uh, i'll give you i'll give you b plus for that that's good well no it's an a minus because i practice it for three weeks since i've <laughs> but uh no and, and Hey, let me, let me, let me ask you this said, first. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, uh, Rick. Let me ask you this first. Did you practice names of the players you had to call on draft night if they had names that weren't you weren't used to saying? I didn't have to announce them. Someone no, else but when you called them. the bonus, they were going to draft you. Yeah, no, everybody um, would make sure that I was. The one thing is to make sure you tell them what the heck his name is and make sure you pronounce it correctly. <laughs> so that was probably your biggest fear on draft night, not getting the right player, but getting the player's no, name right. Just making sure you, you don't embarrass the player on the uh, on the phone when you're talking to him. So, All right, go ahead. Tell me about Tommy. He goes by Tommy, by the way. Yeah, and I really liked him. I went back and or I did 21 tape on him, and this was one of the first guys I did this fall. Uh, I watched him against Nebraska when they played over in Ireland, and uh, he reminded me a little bit of, and again, you can rip my comparisons because that's what we're uh, supposedly you're paid to do. Me, mm -hmm. I don't get paid, so I'm just making comparisons yeah, myself. Okay. Here, we, here we go. Uh, but he reminded me of Boogie Basham a little bit, who uh, Buffalo took a couple years ago out of Wake Forest. He's a shorter defensive end that's very explosive, very powerful. I think he has some ability to be an inside pass rusher. He went down to the senior bowl. They played him some base end, but then they slid him inside. And you can see that explosiveness. You can see the strength. You can see him work through edges of the blockers, and I thought he really helped himself when he showed down at the Senior Bowl that he can be a potential excellent inside pass rusher. Yeah, so Tommy Adebore, he is a uh, he's listed, listed as defensive lineman at Northwestern. You mentioned that Nebraska game to start the season off in Ireland. Had a good game there and continued to have a good game throughout the season. At the Senior Bowl, he was uh, measuring at 6'1 284, 34-inch arms. And those are – he's a little short, but he's also low center of gravity, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, I would imagine, right? No, Adabara is how you pronounce his last name. Okay, thank you. Uh, played a lot of five te technique, lined up uh, over the tight end at times. And sometimes some three techniques. So at two ninety or two eighty four, what are you thinking about Atabara when you see him? Is that a guy you're gonna gonna move inside? You gonna leave him outside? What's your plan with him if you draft him? I think you you know if he had to play some base defensive end, I don't think that if he's going to hold up as a three technique or a defensive tackle because he's that short. Um, but he does have exceptional quickness. I think he's an explosiveness, but he's going to have problems when he has to take on double teams hold the point versus combos versus uh, NFL caliber offensive linemen. But in nickel situations, when he can potentially get in one-on-one -on -one situations with a guard, I think he'll be a mismatch and have a big impact in some kind of role, especially in his rookie year. So I had him as a day two guy before the senior bowl, and I feel quite comfortable with him as a day two guy. Now, any issues with the, the measurables at all? No, because of the 34-inch arm length. Right. Uh, that makes up for the 6-1 or whatever he measured at. When you have that long of arms, that increases his height uh, right. based on his wingspan. So that really helped him when he came in and his arm length was that long. All right. You, you get on me Hopefully all the time. Hopefully his uh, college partner, Skaronsky, will have – I don't know if there will be 34-inch arms, but I'm praying that he has bigger, longer than 32-inch arms. Sometimes he will pay – uh, uh, you know – 
ask Santa Claus for a pony or a, a new bicycle, you're praying for Peter Skaronsky to have 34-inch arms. That's all you want. No, he's not going to have 34-inch arms. I'm not uh, uh, going to pray that you, you'll never get that prayer answered. <laughs> not with that attitude. They're closer to 33 than they are to 32, or maybe a hair over 33 I'd be extremely excited about. So, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I would imagine there's no way to, to cheat that. But a lot of times guys can cheat the hand measurement by the way they, they sort of splay their hand out or, or, you know, they can do a little finagling to, to get over if you're Not quarterback. Really, but I want to hear how you can finagle a hand measurement when you well, make it. Well, explain to me how guys' hands at the Senior Bowl okay, measure differently. Okay, you put it like combine. that, and then it's because of the human measuring the arm and oh, the I human see. measuring the hand. It's not – all of a sudden, it doesn't get shorter or smaller, except if a guy has a deformed finger or something like that. But for the most part, uh, when there's inconsistencies in arm length and sometimes hand size, it may have to do with the person who is actually uh, doing the measurements. By the way, you probably know this because you were in the business for a minute, as the kids say. Jeffrey Kuda, one hand is smaller than the other. And he told us at the combine a few years ago that they measured the wrong hand. He has like a deformed pinky, I think, something like that. So right. his one hand measured eight and change. And he's like, no, no, you got, you got to measure the other hand. You, I can't go around telling people I have eight-inch hands. Um, yeah, and then uh, he'd be on podcasts with us. <laughs> yeah, I measured my hand next to Danny Cannell's once. Danny Cannell's 6'5", an NFL former quarterback. He laughed out loud in my face at the size of my hand, something that you would probably do too, Rick. Uh, I speak- would never laugh at you, Ryan. I have too much, the utmost respect for you, yeah, not your measurements, but uh, mentally, the not the job physically. you have to do for CBS. Speaking of little guys, and you'll be shocked to learn that another little guy made my just good football players list. Um, to recap quickly, my guys from the, the version 1.0 was Kalaja Canty, undersized defensive lineman, Tommy Eichenberg, sort of a hard-nosed old-school linebacker, and of course, my guy, Sidney Brown, the safety out of Illinois. He was, in fact, undersized. But I will tell you this, Debo, some guy named Rick Spielman came around and Sidney Brown safety at Illinois at the senior bowl based on the way he played and practiced. So just given, uh, I got to give a voice to the little people, Rick, because you will not. So, so <laughs> I, I came around a little, it, it's, uh, you liked it, but, you, but it fits in all because if you look at your list, okay. Uh, can tiny. Yep. Eckenberg is he still coming out or did he go back? He's coming out. I'll double check. Okay. Uh, and Sidney Brown, tiny. And now I'm not even going to steal your thunder because I didn't think there couldn't be anyone smaller than those two guys I found Brown them. and Cansey. And you did find one that's actually smaller than them, which is uh, <laughs> with quite a feat. Quite a feat indeed. He plays on the same team as one of my favorite players who is huge. And incidentally, you don't like Julian, uh, Julian Brown. I did not say I don't like him. I just said that he had some issues versus Quentin Johnson. And Everybody. he did kind of grow on me a little bit i will give you credit at the senior bowl where i didn't see it in person or when i was at the sugar bowl or when i watched tape on him i just thought and you're talking about julius brents i'm assuming yeah my guy six four yeah all day long um debo does inform me you are right rick once again eichenberg is returning to ohio state so that's good for him good for that defense and good for his just trying to help the show out i think if we can get a little bit accurate on the guys actually coming out that we can talk about That'll help the podcast tremendously. All right. Well, here's one guy that's coming out who I, I haven't seen his measurements yet, but the, the web. <laughs> you, are you, you can't see him. They're so small. Well, here's the thing. Like, he's probably not in a hurry to get, get measured, and the school website has him at 5'6", 176. I'm talking about Deuce Vaughn, the running back out of Kansas State. And as you know, the school website typically overestimates the size and weight of their players. And, you know, I, I get it. You're, you're selling a product. 
Deuce Vaughn is incredibly fun to watch. Also, you, that. you tell me who at five six. He's he's a tough runner. He does all the dirty things you wanted to do. He plays much bigger than he is. All the, all the sort of cliches we use. But explain to me what role a five six one hundred seventy six pound running back has in the NFL, if any. Like where? Oh like, boy, that, right? that one's a little hard. I, why don't you explain to me and the rest of our fans on <laughs> what, what what that means? So here's the thing. He he has some kick return ability. He didn't do a ton of it. Had seven kicks as a, as a freshman um, and didn't return kicks the last two seasons. So he wasn't used there. So he, he doesn't add anything. You're not going to use him on special teams on coverage, I would imagine, right? I mean, no. Right. He's no. too tiny. So he has to be a, a running back three, and he has to be truly special to make the roster as running back three. So that's why I had him as probably like a, just a flyer late in the seventh round, or he's going to get undrafted because there's, you have to do more than one thing if you're not a starter. And he right now does one thing well on the college level, but it probably doesn't translate. All that said, I think he's a really good football player and he was important to that Kansas state offense. And it may not translate to the next level. And there are players like that every year, but I wanted to give him a, a you know, a little shout out for his performance over the course of the season, but you, you will not get any pushback from me that I think he should be a top 100 player because that's not going to happen. Well, if you have that much belief in this kid, in this young man, uh, would you say he's Darren Sproles? No. Would What's you? the difference between him and Darren Sproles? Darren Sproles offered kick return ability, and he was a little bigger. How, well, I, I don't know the difference between 5'5 five, five and 5'4 five, and 5'5 five, five and a half. And so. An inch. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was thicker. I'll double check, but I think he was thicker too. But, so, but, the, but he was still a day three guy, and he was a, a projection, right? Yep. And how many Darren Sproles have come along, also incidentally out of Kansas State, have come along between Deuce Vaughn and the original Darren Sproles and been good. So he was 5'6", 187. So at least 11 pounds heavier um, at the same size. He ran a 4.47 at the at the combine back in 2005, I believe. Yeah. And he was a day three guy. And look, he was special. You, you know what I'm going to do? Just yeah. because I was down at the uh, Sugar Bowl and um, – I was in shock because I do he is fits in the good football player category. There's no question about that. And he had an explosive run against uh, Alabama too. And he has very good vision and foot quickness and, and you can't see him because he's five <laughs> two. Um, but he is a good football player, but I took a picture of him just because I couldn't believe how small he looked compared to everybody else on the field. And if I can find that picture, I'll we'll post it on uh, my Twitter. Uh, just so everybody can see what we're actually talking about. Yeah, hopefully he's not standing next to Julius Brents because I would not do him any favors. That's nearly. I did have him just to prove a point. <laughs> That's but ten inches shorter. Yeah, but I think I had him standing in a huddle, and I couldn't see him in a huddle. I thought they had ten men on the field. In fact, the official pulled up his flag off because he was going to throw for ten men in the huddle. So we've seen this little guy come running out from Are underneath you... the. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say I would. I, that would be that would be remarkable. All right, here we go. Let's go. So that's my guy. Let's go back to one of your guys. This guy's a different body frame for sure. Will McDonald, edge rusher. You have him as DPR um, out of Iowa State. Also, I thought Flash at times in the Senior Bowl wasn't solid from start to finish, but he, he's a guy that needs to add weight. But there are a lot of things to like about him. Yeah, I think, you know, I think he weighed in, if I'm not mistaken, at 241. Yep. Uh, so he was bigger than I thought he was going to be. Uh, he plays extremely hard on the tape, where his issue is, is uh, I think he's a athlete that is best moving forward as a pass rusher. I don't think he's a great athlete when you have him drop in coverage. 
I do think he has some natural uh, speed and ability to bend through edges as an edge rusher. He needs to get stronger at the point versus the run, but I really loved his motor and his effort, and I thought he helped himself when he showed up down at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, so here's the thing. 6'3 and a half, 241 at the Senior Bowl, 35-inch arms. So that gets there, your attention. There, he's going to go shh, especially I had, if, he start, if he runs. Right. I had him middle of, of the second round coming into the Senior Bowl just based on him being a, Oh, that's not bad. That's actually a, that's very good. I'm, I'm quite excited about that projection. <laughs> I'm glad you changed it after we talked about it. Off yeah, air. right. Make a note, Debo. He agrees. <laughs> All right, so that's your second guy. My second guy didn't get a combine invite. We talked about him last week, Rick. Bowling Green's own Carl Brooks, edge rusher in, in your scorebooks. The reality is he's enormous. He was uh, 6'3", 300 at the combine, 32-and-a-half-inch arms, and they lined him up at Bowling Green. Um, he played half of the snaps were at five to seven techniques, so playing over the outside the tackle or wider. Um, and he did very little reduced, as you like to say, four tech over the, over the tackle or even inside of that. So I don't know why he didn't get a combine invite. We talked about that, but, but I think he's an absolute bull in a China shop. And, and I think that he can add some versatility. Now you're not going to use him outside to pass for a soul hit 300 pounds, but I, I think the, you talk about on the offensive line, the position flexibility, but his ability to move up and down the line has to be intriguing. The, the one thing that, and I believe was there a, game uh who they ucla was the first game of the season where they yep. uh and so i was like watching that tape and then i see this kid and i've seen this like kind of doesn't look like a defensive end he's a little uh thicker yeah uh, but they were playing him from a two-point stance in some of the tape i watched so i thought he played with some motor i thought he he played with some energy uh he did not back down from ucla at all in fact he made some plays at kind of caught your attention. Uh, but everyone knows with that arm length uh, and with that weight and that short that you're going to have to probably project him inside because I don't think he's going to be a natural edge rusher, although he does show position flexibility. The thing that really intrigued me about him even more is when we got down to the senior bowl, they did slide him inside as a three technique, uh, an under tackle, uh, even putting him some, if I believe, over the center. Uh, in some one-on-one situations, and you can see this guy move, and he has some quickness to him. Uh, he has some pass rush, although he is a little raw, but that is a big transition when you slide someone inside because all of a sudden you don't have as big of an area and not as much space to work in as you do if you're an edge rusher, and he seemed to adapt and got better and better each day down there at practice. Right, and that's something that teams will certainly take into consideration. All right, I'm gonna throw this comp out here. You can do with it what you what you want. So I just checked the numbers to make sure he's pretty close to LJ Collier, who was a surprise. I don't know if you thought he was a surprising first round pick back when the Seahawks took him back in 2019, but yes. uh, LJ measured six two and a half, two eighty three. He did have thirty four inch arms. I think that Carl Brooks is a better player than LJ Collier. Yeah, and, and Collier, uh, I don't think had a had a yeah, stellar right. NFL career. Um, but he did show up when he was down at TCU and everybody projected him to be a little bit of an inside uh, pass rusher. Um, I can see that a little bit, but I think this kid, I, I really liked his motor and the energy that he played with. I thought he played hard. And usually if you get guys that can play hard uh, and you don't have to coach that, 
then they'll develop the rest of the uh, technique and the rest of everything that uh, goes into making these guys good football players. All right. Next on the good football player list, your number three guy, Steve Avila, who who played on the interior offensive line, mostly guard at TCU. He flashed throughout the season. Huge body, 6'3", 332 uh, at the senior bowlers measurements, uh, 32 and a half inch arms, uh, just a, a hair longer than that. That gets your attention uh, in terms of him staying inside. I think he took some snaps at center as well. I can't remember yes. at the senior yes, bowl. He did. So tell me about Steve Avila. I, I just loved his position flexibility. Um, I don't think he is a great athlete out in space, although he does play on his feet. Rarely do you see him on the ground. But I think with that size, he's an inline mauler that plays hard. He tries to finish. Uh, I thought he was very good in pass protection in the one-on-one drills down there. Tough to bull rush him or, or have a defender uh, go through him, and he does not get collapsed into the pocket or into the quarterback's lap. Uh, I saw him down there at center, and he did some one-on-one drills and, and some drills at center as well, which gives him huge position flexibility. I think this guy has a legitimate chance to be a day-one starter as a rookie, mm. and I thought that that was verified after we saw what he did down at the senior bowl. So I had him as a sort of third-round guy before the senior bowl. And that may change after we get get done with the combine, but going into the senior bowl, I, I liked his tapes as, as a day two guy. Does that seem reasonable? Is yeah, that a little no, too I'm, I agree with you there. I don't think he's a day one guy by yeah. far, but I think when you're trying to find, because it's not a great offensive center class. Um, and when you have some of these big guys that are athletic enough to play both guard and center, uh, that I think that is going to push them up the board a little bit. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, let's go to my last just good football player. Another guy, Rick, didn't get a combine invite. We talked about him last week as well. Marty Mapu, we saw him one day at practice, Sacramento State at the Senior Bowl. Safety out of Sacramento State, but they had him playing uh, more line, doing more linebacker drills, and he looked as comfortable uh, as if he'd been playing linebacker his entire life. They lined him up all over the place at Sacramento State. Uh, he played in the slot. Um, he played over the tackle. Uh, he sort of played that, that lurker-robber position. And sometimes they lined him up as a seven technique. Sometimes he did line up in an off-ball position. So he was sort of a, a jack-of-all-trades and, and, and master of a lot of those trades, if you will. He measured 6'2 217, 33.5-inch uh, arms, if you care about such things, for 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 linebacker slash safety hybrid. Uh, I like the fact that he played with his hair on fire. I like the fact that he came downhill with purpose and wouldn't be afraid to, to punch in the mouth in terms of the, the fall tape. And it was very aggressive. Um, in, in the one practice we saw him, he, he has the ability to cover guys in space, tight ends and running backs. I, I like a lot about him. I was sort of surprised he didn't get a combine invite. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, I, I didn't get an opportunity to go back and watch his sack, uh, state tape yet, but I managed to go back and look at him, but he did show up down at the senior bowl. I don't know if he looked like he's been playing linebacker since he's been born. I think there's a little bit of adjustment there for him. <laughs> Uh, especially if he's going to have to take on blocks in line and learn how to use his hand. So we're uh, over-exaggerating just a hair there. Well, let me uh, ask you this. He's 213, so you can't play off-ball at 213 anyway, right? We, uh, as a safety? No. Um, I mean, if they, mean, two, he, he can two, play two. stack linebacker if he continues to grow. But what right. I think this kid is, is like Neil, uh, kind of who was a hybrid strong safety, um, you know, has bounced around the league a little bit uh, that came out of Florida a few years ago. Uh, Dan Quinn converted him to linebacker. So he's like a will linebacker. 
A lot of these guys potentially can be dime linebackers. And what I mean by that, uh, you have your nickel package with your with your two corners and, and your uh, DB that's covering the slot receiver. But a lot of times they'll take a guy like this that has enough athletic skills to match up maybe in man coverage versus a tight end or versus a running back. So you f- refer to him as almost like a dime linebacker. I think it's going to take some time for him to adjust to that linebacker role. Uh, where he's going to have to play to have the best chance to make an NFL roster. But where he's going to have the best chance is what he does on special teams because I think this kid is a good football player, but he is going to be a little bit of a project. He's got a long ways to go on learning technique, especially on how to use his hands. But I do think he'll be an excellent special teamer. And usually guys that excel on special teams, uh, their rookie year and even in their second year, a lot of those guys eventually end up being good football players at their position. So Keanu Neal was uh, 17th overall pick in 2016. That's who you're referring to earlier. And I will admit that I get excited about these young men and oversell them. I would be terrible in a draft room because when, when the bill comes due and the guy ends up washing out of the league, I would be the first guy fired. So it's, it's good to have the voice of reason here, Rick. Some people... Uh, confuse that for being a curmudgeon, but you're you're being a realist, and I give you credit for that. <laughs> All right, so that's version 2.0 of our Just Good Football Players list. We, we're up to six players each. I think Debo wants me to take a break right here, Rick, so we'll take a quick break, come back, and do some mailbag. All right, we're back. A little March Madness there. All right, it's mailbag time, Rick, the first ever Monday mailbag. We appreciate you leaving comments on Twitter and YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And look, if we didn't get to your question today, we'll get back to it in a future episode. And just a reminder, next week, going to be in Indianapolis all week. Going to do some live shows, I think, each and every night, Rick, starting Tuesday through Friday. So look for that on CBS Sports HQ. All right, here's the first question from Rookie MVP 8 He asks, Rick, I'm curious what NFL general managers think of mock drafts. If they see a mock draft having the team draft a player they didn't think of, or if a mock draft has ever had an effect on a pick they made? I would say absolutely not um, that a mock draft had ever had an effect on whether we were going to take a player or not. You would not say that out loud if it, if it were true either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can guarantee you that, true or untrue, that would never uh, occur, I think, with any general manager to take a player um, that the mock draft had. But The reason I say that, I thought mock drafts were kind of interesting because Hmm. you're getting all these uh, expert like Ryan Wilson. I'm privileged and honored just to be on a show like him with him uh, just to learn about this whole process of the draft (laughs) and everything. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) what it was is it created some scenarios. So you would go through and we actually had our analytics team that went through every mock draft that was entirely out there, which you wouldn't oh believe how many gosh. mock drafts are out there. I you mean, must have hated the person you may do that job. So they created an algorithm to come up and to measure all these mock drafts, kind of even graded some of the mock drafts. Um, and then uh, where more than likely these guys were going to go. So it was an average of all the mock drafts and where they were probably going to get selected. But, The reason why mock drafts are hard on guys like Ryan Wilson and uh, Pete Prisco are because they do not have the same information that the teams have. They do not have medical information. They do not have psychological testing. They do not have intelligence scores. 
they have not sit in an interview. And when you sit there and watch tape with a player and trying to have him explain why he's doing this on tape or why they were doing this, um, they don't have all the background information and the private investigation that a lot of teams uh, will, will, will put uh, resources towards and to make sure you understand who's coming in the building. So there are a lot of other ancillary things that will never be made public, will never be made to the media, but teams will have all this information. So you never relied, or I never relied, I don't think any GM ever relies on a mock draft except for some exercises. Okay, if Ryan Wilson's mock draft, which not this last one, maybe the earlier one, which is a little bit better, we'll get it better as we go forward. <laughs> right. Um, but if this happened, who would we take? if this was left on the board and we were picking. So it kind of gives you a little bit of guidance and, and maybe uh, some scenarios to go through. But for the most part, it would never have an impact because of all the information that we have uh, that a lot of the public and a lot of the media and NFL draft analysts do not have or will probably never have. Yeah, you know what? That, that's a couple important points there. It, it is not surprising that you don't, consult mock drafts as a as a guiding light, but it is also not surprising that you do in-house mock drafts just to get an idea of what draft night might look like in terms of trade scenarios, in terms of what other teams in front of you might do based on what your needs are. And finally, your last point is probably the most important one. The media has no idea about the the injury history in large part, the, the evaluations that you do, uh, the sort of the written, the psychological stuff that you guys do. And that's part of the reason you know, I, I try to reach out to folks in the league and, and that I have so, as sources who will tell me sometimes, well, this is something that you don't know about this player. And that's the whole point. The whole point is to try to be better than 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 just your, your average Joe media mock draft guy. And it's, it's not easy. But to your point, I will never have the resources uh, of the Minnesota Vikings, for example, because uh, I make minimum wage and the Minnesota Vikings are a hundred billion dollar organization. All right. Next yeah. question. Yep. That was good. Thank you for agreeing. <laughs> and that was a good question. Thank you for that, rookie. All right. JV Swaps asked, how much does personality, character, and character affect the draft stock of prospects at the top of the draft? How do you evaluate that as a scout or general manager? Yeah, this is kind of just building off of the question that we just answered. Every team has a different tolerance level of what they will accept from a character standpoint, what they will accept from a medical standpoint. So when all these players go to the combine uh, and all the team docs are there and they go through all these physical exams and all the MRIs and everything else that goes along with it, there are some times that I, I've seen it numerous times where we really liked the player and then something came out on a medical that was found at the combine that maybe was not found uh, while he played his whole year of college. So there were couple of examples of guys that came out with a significant heart issue that never showed up through his medical history. And all of a sudden it's like our doctors are telling us, well, we can't touch this player. Uh, it's not worth the risk. I understand you like him as a football player. So then we would go ahead and we put a uh, red dot on the player or a red card, which means no matter what, if he was a first round talent and he went in the seventh round, or or we wouldn't even sign him as a college free agent because really? our medical staff said that it was too big of a risk uh, for to, for us to sign that player. And it's the same thing on the character. 
it depends in each organization on the support staff that you have in place. What does your mental health team look like? Um, what does your uh, player programs guy, how is he going to support it? Can they handle a player that has some character issues, whether it could be an addiction issue, mm-hmm. do we have a program in place to maybe control the addiction that he might have, or is it even worth the risk of doing? Um, it could be a, a variety of different things, but each team will make that determination. But the one thing I always thought it was important we had to make sure that the coaches were on the same page if we were going to bring this player in. So if he had a character issue, and it couldn't be, it could have been an off-field character issue. It could have been what we called a football character issue, which meant he wasn't a hard worker or we showed up late to meetings. That's why we had our coaches so involved in the interview process because they would have all the background before they'd interview these players, and we spent hours and hours trying to interview as many prospects as we could, and especially interviewing guys that we had some kind of character concern with. And the coaches was after they spent time with them, because the coach is the one that's going to have to deal with the player. Right. He comes in the building. I'm not dealing with him. I may be dealing with his agent. Um, but the coach is going to have to, to deal with that player in the meeting rooms, deal with him on the field. Uh, you know, teams are going to question, is he a culture fit into what we've built down in our locker room? Um, all those things go into those decisions. So, and I think Ryan, we've been mentioning this earlier that we had a lot of guys on our board that may have been character red dots. Yep. Like I mentioned, medical red dots where other teams did not have as big a concern. So, that's up to each individual team to determine what the risk factor is because if the guy that you draft is going to be suspended, then that's not helping you at all because he's not on the field. And there was, I can't remember, and I have to go back and look, but guys that had character concerns coming in had almost a three to four uh, more likely chance of getting suspended in the NFL than a guy that didn't have those character concerns. The other thing is that if they were a medical red dot and a character red dot, out of the 12 players, I think that we had the double whammy on, as we mm-hmm. called it, not one of them ever played up to the ability that we had them graded coming out. And it was a lot because, okay, the durability concern and a character concern. And that was a deadly combination for us that if they had both of those, they were off our draft board completely. Okay. Let me, uh, I'm going to go off script here and ask a couple of follow-ups and you can answer as much or as little as you, as you choose. Uh, we talked about the 2016 draft class with County Neal, a perfect example of this. And I, I don't know if you knew ahead of time or not, and you can say it or not say it, but the Laramie Tunsil thing came down. It, it was like, it was like a, a live reality show just before the draft. His dad released or his relative released a video of him, uh, allegedly smoking pot with the gas mask on or whatever that was. I don't know if it was ever confirmed, uh, but it seemed to drop him from a top five pick. He lasts until 13 to the Dolphins. He's had a really good career. I don't know. I don't know. if I haven't heard anything. I haven't been asking around about any sort of locker room issues. By all accounts, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Um, was that a surprise to you? You can answer, choose not to answer when it happened live. And would you? Yeah, have taken I think him? a lot. A lot of teams were taken back because I don't think oh. anyone's seen that video. So all of a sudden it was like, what the heck is this? And (laughs) no one 
to my knowledge, unless someone else, and I don't know if they did or not, had knowledge of that video coming okay. out and what was on that video, if they addressed it with that player. Because if there are things on their social media, videos like that, wherever they, they pop up, uh, that those are the things you want to definitely address uh, when you're interviewing the player or going through this pre-draft process. The other thing is, if it happens like it happened, I believe, on draft day, yeah, right that, before that, the that draft night. started, right. then all of a sudden you have your owner looking at you, <laughs> and he's saying, well, how are we going to sell this to oh, our fans? Right. And this guy, and that's a whole nother, uh, you know, layer to peel back on, okay, I have to go down there and do a press conference. This guy just was smoking marijuana or whatever it was with a gas mask on. How do I go down there and explain it? to the media and that's, that's a difficult oh you know, yeah you know what I'm, you know what I'm laughing i'm laughing because i'm thinking if you had had the opportunity to take larry tunson you taking him you should have done the interview with the gas mask on that's the best way to approach it. that's my pr <laughs> advice to you <laughs> so that, that that's the math you're doing in real time and if you're watching on youtube Debo just pulled up the 26 draft class that you're trying to figure out because i would imagine as a football player larry tunson was rated very highly on your board yes but as was. a general as a general manager unlike Mock draft guys like me, you have to consider the entire story, not just the fact of how he's going to play Sundays from one to four every every week. And, and you can't, as a general manager, and you have the final say in the draft, oh, okay, we're going to take that guy without directly having communication with your owner, who's usually sitting right next to you. And you got to ask your head coach, listen, this guy, I know how talented he is. Do you want to deal with this situation or not? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times if coaches aren't buying in, or don't want to deal with that player, that player may have a less likely chance of having success if I can't get or the general manager can't get the buy-in, especially from the head coach and the coaching staff. Right. All right. That was a good answer. Thank you for your frankness. All right. Let's go back to the originally scheduled programming. This is from Dino. And this is going to, this might haunt you the rest of your days, Rick. We'll see. Do you think Will Levis <laughs> should be taking over CJ Stroud? Uh, as of today, absolutely not. And what I would could not possibly change? Huh? Nothing. What? Okay, go ahead. So you may disagree with me, Ryan. So well, you can counter me if you think that Will Levis should go ahead of him. I don't I know. know what you're thinking. I mean, but I said absolutely not. C.J. Stroud <laughs> was just a better player this right. year than Will Levis was. It's just evident on tape. And then you see what C.J. Stroud does uh, in the uh, bowl game against a pretty good defense, uh, an NFL-caliber defense in Georgia. And uh, all of a sudden you see him, and we've talked about this now, you can see that he can definitely make off-schedule throws and make some plays with his legs, what he didn't show during the season. Uh, but I thought he did a better job uh, not making as many poor decisions as Will Levis did. Will Levis, and going into the season, I was extremely high on Will Levis, and I still am. I think he has all the physical traits, the arm talent. They say he's smart. Uh, I wish he becomes a decision, better decision maker. One of the things that I would definitely ask him, although I got a whole checklist here that we, can, uh, I know won't have time to go through, but what is he processing or what is he seeing to make that type of throw or to make that throw that was uh, ended up being an interception. I see the physical traits. I see his ability to make plays with his feet. I could see the Josh Allen comparisons, and a lot of people are comparing him to the Josh Allen type because he has a bazooka for an arm. Um, but 
why didn't he play as good this year? Uh, and, you know, is he an excuse maker or is he going to, what's he going to tell us why he wasn't as good? But the most important thing to me is what, and I never had a question of this because I've seen him and when he's banged up and he got beat up pretty good this year because he took a lot of shots, but kept coming back, kept playing through injuries. But all of a sudden, you know, he didn't play in the bowl game, didn't show up down at the senior bowl. And if it was a legit injury, I completely understand that. But if you are healthy and if Will Levis was healthy and had an opportunity to go down to the, especially at the senior bowl, although I don't agree with players opting out of their bowl games, but that's a whole nother discussion <laughs> that me and Pete and you can get into on a different podcast. Cause that'll take forever. Um, but if he had an opportunity because the spotlight would have been on him down at the senior bowl. Yeah. I mean, with a collection of quarterbacks that were down there, he would have definitely been all eyes on him. And if he was healthy, I'll preference that again and didn't show up. That was an opportunity to show that, Hey, I'll go out and compete. Just throw the ball out there. As I like to say in the, on the playground, let's see who wants to go play. But he had an opportunity to really separate himself down at the Senior Bowl or close potentially close the gap, which I think there is a gap right now between uh, between Young and uh, between Stroud and between uh, Levis. Yeah, C.J. Stroud is my number two. I think C.J. could be in the conversation for number one, especially, you know, you and I talked about this uh, Super Bowl week in Phoenix when we had C.J. on set. It's rare that a quarterback comes in in the final game of their career in a bowl game and changes your opinion about him. But that's exactly what CJ Stroud was able to do in the way he played. I'm with you on Will Levis. I, I think physically he's the, the quarterback you build in the lab, but it just didn't work out last year. And I, I've been saying this since the fall scouts will tell you toe injury, shoulder injury, offensive line wasn't very good. They had three players drafted in 2022 that are on NFL rosters. The wide receivers were all freshmen. I, I get all that, but typically you go to a bad football team when you're, um, one of the top quarterbacks drafted. So you, you have to sort of figure out that. Uh, how does that oh, look? Oh, you, you forgot the other excuse about new offensive coordinator, too. New that offensive was, coordinator. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. That That's the other one. And th those are things you have to sort through. But like you said, he's supposed to be a great teammate. He's a smart young man. Smart young man. I think his finance, uh, background is in finance. But you've also mentioned this, Rick, that one of the things it took you a, a while to learn is that you can be smart as a quarterback, but if you're not processing quickly, which I think gets at the question you were talking about, yep. it doesn't matter how many math equations you can do if you have 30 minutes to do them. So that's what you have to figure out with Will Levis. And let me ask you this, and then we'll take a break and get to the rest of these questions. But Are we uh, gonna, Can we have a dollar bet? Yeah. Okay. Are you going to say Will Levis will throw at the combine or not throw at the combine? I'm going to say no. For a dollar. I say no. Which side do you want? I want to know. All right, you because can then I could even talk about it even more about there was a third opportunity he had to go prove himself and move himself up with the other two that he didn't do it. All right, Debo, give give Rick the no. I'll take the yes. A uh, little birdie told me, and I think I pass this on to you, Rick, that um, Levis's agent suggested he didn't do the Senior Bowl and that he 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 may be throwing at the combine. That feels like um, it feels like you do the reverse, but whatever. So we'll see, and that'll be another dollar bet. But, but the one thing these kids uh, to that point, yeah. just to make a. Uh, that I've always told the kids is that you don't work for the agent. The agent works for you. You're the boss. You're mm -hmm. the one who should make the decisions. You can hear all the advice you want, but eventually you're the one that's in control of the decisions you make. 
So they can tell you X, and you if but if you want to go do Y, that's who you are. I mean, that's especially at the quarterback position. I don't want a agent telling a quarterback what to do. I'd rather have the quarterback be in command and let the agent know. Now the agent will say, "Well, I know this. I've been doing this for X amount of years. This is what happened with." Uh, you know, Bobby Shikowitz and all the other quarterbacks that we had coming up through the draft. Uh, no pun to Bobby Shikowitz if he's out there um, or no disrespect, but this is how I've had success with the quarterbacks. So I just, it'd be interesting to see if Debo and our crackpot research team can go back and look at the quarterbacks that threw at the combine and the quarterbacks that elected not to throw the combine and see how that impacted or did not impact them in the draft. As I tell my 15-year-old son all the time, Rick, you have freedom of choice, but not freedom of consequence. So <laughs> do what you want to do, but there might be repercussions. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to do a little speed round Q&A when we get back with the old mailbag. All right, we're back, Rick. Let's do um, – we're 45 minutes in. Let's see if we can – see what we can do in five more minutes. So I'm going to have to ask you to be a little more concise in your answers. This ain't uh... <laughs> not like keep doing it like I'm doing a press conference. <laughs> yeah, don't filibuster until all the, the reporters fall asleep. Uh, they quit get, get tired of asking questions. All right, this is an easy one, and I, I like this question a lot. This is a great question from at New Look Raider. Thoughts on Darnell Wright, who's out of Tennessee, being the top uh, running uh, – I can't read. He's the top, a right offensive tackle. Right tackle. Excuse me. Thoughts on Darnell Wright being the top right tackle in the draft. We saw him at the Senior Bowl out of Tennessee. What do you think about that? Yeah, I thought he made one of the biggest jumps from his junior tape to his senior tape this year. He had a very good Senior Bowl, but my top right tackle was Dewan Jones. And I say that uh, because I thought he also made a tremendous jump from – 21 tape, 22 tape, and both of these guys continued to improve through their 22 tape. Both of them went down and showed up and played well in the Senior Bowl practices. Uh, they had a good week, uh, but I went with DeWan Jones over him because I think DeWan Jones just has unique size that you just can't find. Uh, and they're both right tackle athletes, but I gave the advantage to DeWan Jones because he moved better than I thought that I saw on the tape in 22 when you watched him move live in the one day on the one-on-one -on -one drills that he did participate at the Senior Bowl. So I would have had Dewan Jones right ahead of him, but I think that um, Wright also made a significant jump from his from his 21 to 22 tape and maybe butt up right up against him. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this process uh, pre-draft process stacks these two, but right now Jones for overwrite for me. Yeah, pre-senior bowl, I had Dewan Jones as uh, an early second rounder, and I had Darnell as as mid to late second round, and those are obviously changed, but just sort of a, a a mile marker before we got to the senior bowl. Darnell was six five three forty two with thirty four and a and an eighth inch arms, excuse me, at the senior bowl. So he checks every box, and I mean he moved pretty well for three forty two, and he's only thirty pounds lighter than. Than uh than Dewan, which is tells you what Dewan's talking about there, size wise. All right, this is from Tilly Six. Tariq Woolen obviously had an amazing rookie campaign, which is even more impressive given the fact that he was a fifth round pick and also he was a converted wide receiver. If you had to pick one player in this uh, this year's draft class uh, that will most likely be a day three guy, but have the most potential to have an impact like Woolen, who would it be? Well, I'm anxious to hear your answer to this after I give you mine. 
right. um, but I think a lot of it will depend on the pre-draft process. I think there'll be some two day two guys that fall into day three, whether it be something medical or character that pops up that, that are going to be impact players. But if I had to pick one of my, we haven't gotten through all the segments of just good football players, is that uh, Eric Gray, the running back out of Oklahoma, reminded me a little bit of Pacheco in his run style. Okay. He is a violent runner. He's twisting, fighting for extra yards. The difference is Pacheco is a little bit of just one cut and then just head up the field, and he has excellent speed uh, when he gets up in the open field. But Eric Gray is a little bit more elusive. He's a little bit quicker twitched when he does make a cut. He can go from zero to 60, but his 60 levels out once he gets at the second level. But I was really impressed with how violent this kid runs, and it reminded me a little bit of the same violence that Pacheco runs. And usually a running back uh, can rely, especially as a rookie, on their natural instincts as a runner and as they learn and grow into the offense. But most of the running backs that are drafted, you know, we saw Walker from Michigan State have a big year for uh, Seattle this year. But a lot of those guys can just plug and play because they can rely just on their natural athletic skills. I'm going to go with, uh, and this is a deep cut, I'm going to go with Lonnie Phelps, who showed up at the Senior Bowl out of Kansas, an edge rusher, but he was there for special teams purposes. That's why he he got the invite. So he's a great special teamers, number one, uh, coverage guy, number one. But he actually flashed during the practices, and, and he flashed more than I expected. He came in at 6'2", 251, 32-inch uh, arms. So, you know, he doesn't check every box physically, but he makes up for it with his motor. Now, in terms of, surprise productivity next year. Maybe we're looking at a James Houston type. Remember he was drafted by, by the lions and he was a situational pass rusher and, and he certainly flashed when given the opportunity late in the season. And maybe you see those, those sorts of uh, opportunities taken advantage of by Lonnie Phelps. He's not going to come in and, and be a guy that, that starts every game and, and gets 15 sacks. He, he may not even get drafted. We'll see, but he feels like a day three guy. You draft for special teams. You have some injuries in front of you along the defensive line. And he goes out there and, and balls out. Hey, getting better at this. That's pretty good. There we go. Look at that, Debo. Look at that. And by the way, Debo notes, uh, you, we just talked about sleepers here in this question. Uh, in a future episode later this spring, before the old draft, obviously, we'll be doing a, a sleepers episode. So look oh. out for that. We got we got you covered. All right. This is a tough one. <laughs> Bears. <laughs> Salamantin, Salamantino. Got it. Thank you, Vincent. Should the Bears, Rick, trade Justin Fields since Bryce Young is clearly the far superior prospect? And I will just qualify that by saying uh, that they still play outdoors in Chicago. Someone mentioned in the comments when we talked about that the other day, that they are going to build a stadium in Chicago. Unless they're building the stadium this week, it ain't going to affect whether Bryce Young or Justin Fields or anyone else plays there. No, I would say absolutely not. And the reason I say that is you know what you have in uh, in, in Fields. Um, he's progressed from year one, showed a little bit better. He was much better in year two, particularly because he's such a phenomenal athlete with his legs. He improved as a thrower, but he still has a ways to go. But can you imagine if you traded away Justin Fields in year three, he hits it like Hurst hit it this year, or mm -hmm. like even Tua hit it this year? How sick are you going to be? And then you're going to go with another young quarterback who I'm a huge uh, Bryce Young or Bryce Young fan, uh, but all of a sudden, then you're starting back over from scratch. And then 
who in the heck is going to be around Bryce Young to give him a supporting cast? Because I don't care what quarterback is in there. If they don't improve the skill sets around them uh, and it, just across their entire uh, roster, they're going to be stuck in mud. So, but Justin Fields is too, it's too early in his career to. Oh, Rick, we lost your audio there. I don't know if that's just me or if that's, if that's the, uh, yeah, I think we lost your audio. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll keep going. That's all right. As long as you can hear me, you can answer the question and, and we'll just pretend. um i'll ask you one last question then we'll actually get out of here since uh, we have audio issues and i i sort of know the answer to this question and i think it's a funny question it's from neil salmon 71 so rick when's your first mock draft coming out (laughs) i can hear you now perfect go ahead yeah uh i have not been instructed nor paid to do mock drafts i am not in the same category of importance at cbs hq and cbs and all the podcasts that Ryan and 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 Pete are, but I just hopefully continue to aspire oh, to get up to that level someday, so I could actually do a maybe a mock draft. Yeah, uh, I'm not volunteering you- to do a mock draft because apparently some of these that you have to do are just like I don't want to get yelled at again. <laughs> Well, unless you're yelling at yourself, I don't know who'd be doing the yelling because that's who's typically yelling at me. And by the way, uh, in case you, I haven't said this before, I spent the last two weeks with Rick in Phoenix and before that in Mobile, Alabama. And this man has a sob story like you've never heard. He, he's rubbing two nickels together. He's homeless. He doesn't have a job. So as I told him frequently, Rick, we are praying for you and hopefully things turn around. I don't know. You might be destined for this life of, of, uh, of being poor and, you know, living from paycheck to paycheck, but it will be thinking about you. We'll start to go fund me and hopefully. Well, it is. It's a uh, with the first pick at Rick Spillman GoFundMe page. Just help help out. Just trying to make a living. He's just trying to make a living uh, so he can play more than four rounds of golf a week. We understand, Rick. <laughs> All right. That's it for the latest with the first pick podcast. We'll be back Thursday. We're going to do a little uh, live mock draft with Rick, of course, and Josh Edwards will join us. I'll be there. And then next week we'll be in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. And uh, we'll get to more of these questions as we go through the draft process. So keep sending them. And if you sent some, don't worry, we will get to them. But for now, that's Rick. I'm me. We'll see you guys Thursday.